Welcome to Sterile Packaging on Track Radio. This podcast delivers insights on medical device packaging from regulatory affairs, process management, as well as discussions on the latest in sterile device packaging technologies. Each episode, our host, Charlie Webb, speaks with global experts to bring the most relevant information to our esteemed listeners. As sterile packaging compliance becomes increasingly more challenging, it is vital to avoid information gaps that could risk your medical device packaging program. Avoid package failure risks and build your skill set from your colleagues' experience and from insights from sterile device packaging subject matter experts. You're listening to Charlie Webb on Sterile Packaging on Track Radio. Hello and welcome to Sterile Packaging on Track. So today we'd like to talk about the life cycle approach to validation. So this is all about how we preserve our medical device packaging validation all the way from its conception, all the way to its the, the delivery and the distal tip of that validation. What is happening in the clean room? Uh, how is uh, packaging machinery being maintained? How are we uh, testing cycles to be sure that all the great stuff that we found out during the design of experiment uh, phase, the IQ, OQ, PQ, all of those things are put together and we're going to develop and engender a packaging program that we're proud of and that we're maintaining it. So it's all about the life cycle approach. You know, some of our medical device manufacturers create validation plans that are crisp, they're clear, well-developed, well-supported, and they meet all the expectations of the spirit of validation. Now, at the end, these teams develop a medical device packaging plan that is the tour de force of quality processing. But then something changes. They hand it over. Uh, it's been handed over to the secondary and tertiary level employees for implementation and preservation. And this is where the trouble typically starts. I mean, quality groups, either as outside consultants or internal groups, seem to be uh, diverted to other projects. And so oftentimes they let go of that wonderful validation child. So because these secondary and tertiary employees don't have the expertise, uh, they don't have the train, uh, training, and typically they're not educated. These aren't um, uh, validation people. They're not quality trained engineers. So they have a difficult time keeping the spirit <clears throat> of that validation alive. Uh, so the validation process begins to quickly decay. Now, we typically won't hear from these companies until there's been a 43 observation or a complete package failure to the point of a recall, and none of us want a recall. So we can't emphasize enough that a living validation is essential to compliance. Further, if outside consultants are to be brought in for the process of sterile device packaging validation, there needs to be some type of a retainer that will assure that the life cycle approach to sterile device packaging is, is going to be preserved. So don't expect to create a masterpiece uh, in your capable hands and then turn it over to the infantrymen to maintain its scope. It just won't happen. I've seen it over and over again over the last 25 years. So indeed, not only should this uh, system not decay, the expectation that medical device packaging programs should continue to improve over time. So at our laboratory, we take the uh, Kaizen approach uh, to validation process. So small but important steps forward are creating a more robust process, and that's the name of the game. So you have to remember to own your medical device packaging plan and to not pass it down to less interested third parties or lesser parties. Uh, review often to assure that the process is still sound through medical pouch testing, such as um, 
peel testing, burst, dye penetration, those sort of empirical checks. So the old ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure is a truism, and it's a worthy motto if you want to keep your medical device packaging plan intact, and that's certainly our goal. Another important thing to remember is that someone, potentially no longer you, may have to maintain your validation. So if you just got swayed by the latest LinkedIn job offer and you go off on your merry way, remember somebody that uh, is going to fill your seat after you leave is going to have to maintain that validation. I can't tell you how many postmortems we've had to do uh, trying to resurrect a validation that was done by another engineer who's now long gone and not returning phone calls and um, uh, perhaps they're under an audit and everyone is scrambling to try to find out what exactly was done. Design of experiments are missing and really the whole validation plan doesn't seem to exist. So these are things that can really cause a lot of problems. Trust me, I've seen this so many times. So as we talk today, we're going to bring in a party, which I hope to do more often. I like to bring in um, people from other critical industries. Um, I think it's important for us to look outside medical device manufacturing to other critical processes that are also managed under a scrutiny of a difficult and uh, very um, you know heavily watched third party. So I'm going to bring a friend of mine that I've known for 30 years on the show today. His name is Rod Jennings. And uh, Rod Jennings, and he's a um, an actually a nuclear field engineer. So you can imagine nuclear power plants have a very codified system that they have to maintain. And so I hope we can glean a little bit of information from Rod today. Uh, we're going to grab him here in just a minute on the phone line. So um, before we move into his quick interview, we're going to have a short one today. Uh, I just want to reiterate one last time that uh, it's so important that you watch your validation and uh, bring it back alive. Don't just um, develop all of the important science and math that goes along with understanding if you're going to have a a cogent program that's going to deliver seal-to-seal consistency on your packaging and that um, based on all the statistical data that you have, you can now determine that the likelihood of a failure uh, in transportation to the critical point Um, is very unlikely, plus or minus 1%. I mean, these are all great things. And validation is all about, you know, looking into probability tables and looking at, you know, how robust is our validation program. But as remember that if we develop all of this and we walk onto another project, we're, we're at great risk. I mean, I can't tell you how many times that we've had an issue with this incredible validation all falling apart during an audit because there was no preventative maintenance records for critical packaging machine. Uh, the calibration that was performed on the machine wasn't a full range calibration, or the calibration company that performed the calibration wasn't ISO 17025 uh, certified like we are. That's important. Um, it's only, it's, it's uh, as we used to say back in the, uh, the 80s with computers and in the 90s, garbage in, garbage out. So if you have any break in that chain that's we or our weak chain where your 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 calibrations are less than robust we had a company recently that was under an audit and they were reviewing the uh, calibration records and they were horrified to find out that the calibration company that they've been using all these years was not an iso certified accredited qualified uh, calibration lab they literally went through their own sort of assessment uh, to determine that they were valuable based on their own <laughs> sort of uh, granting 
of acceptance. And so, you know, we, we have to make sure we are auditing vendors. Um, we have to make sure that the process uh, that is being uh, developed in the clean room is done correctly. Another concern that uh, had happened over the last five years and many companies like our company is firewalled any sort of user ability to change validation settings on critical equipment. So if you created a validation and you found nominal settings for equipment, obviously you don't uh, want an employee in the clean room at two o'clock in the morning to go freestyling on settings on that equipment. So you have to have um, some sort of a firewall. It used to be uh, plexiglass um, sheets that were put over processors where operators couldn't punch it in. Now, you know, companies uh, develop machinery like us, uh, most companies do now, where they're uh, smarter equipment where you have to punch in a code. And uh, if that uh, uh, code doesn't go in, they can't change settings. And that's really important. So those are the sort of things that you really want to keep an eye on. You really want to watch that validation and make sure that it meets the life cycle approach from its very beginning, its conception, all the way to the end where that device goes out of the clean room and put into distribution. So watch your clean room, watch your process, check your maintenance, look at your records, um, make sure you're dealing with good calibrated uh, equipment and operators that are well-trained. I highly recommend that um, medical device manufacturers, if they have the ability for any vendor that they're working with uh, that has a critical equipment, that they get that um, employee certified, not just trained, but certified. That's kind of trending these days. In our laboratory, I require a few different certifications. I require an internal certification program that we develop to show that my technicians are competent for the work that they do on the technical side. Pretty obvious stuff, but they need to be tested. I mean, we went to college when we graduated. We've taken many, many tests, and that's what we have to do before they hand over diploma. So similarly, uh, it's great to have training, but unless it's vetted with some testing to assure competency, and this is not just a written test. This also should include uh, observation. You know, again, in our 17025 laboratory, every year uh, as part of our surveillance and audit, the auditor is watching us perform the tests and the, uh, uh, the calibration procedures that are listed on our scope. Uh, so if you can't show that you can perform those and you can't complete, a, say, a 25-question test to demonstrate that that operator understands, and they shouldn't only be tested on whether or not they understand the equipment, they should be under, uh, tested to understand the critical nature of the process that they're engaged to. So for our, our company, for instance, uh, we provide a, um, a calibration uh, training program that allows them to take a 25-question test and when they pass the test, then they are able to get certified. And, they, and that's an important thing. I mean, our certification have co has come up in audits to say, hey, you know, here's what we do. We have an operator that is certified. They've been trained. They've been tested. And they're working on machinery that is calibrated and verified and vetted. And that's the name of the game for validation, as we all know. So moving forward with Rod, we are going to talk a little bit about checklists. Checklists have become a, a huge tool in healthcare, and these are really checklists are really starting to find their way on the uh, care to patient uh, side. Some amazing metrics are showing up regarding uh, uh, checklists. In the uh, book uh, Checklist uh, Manifesto, uh, Tool Gawande 
uh, a physician, uh, speaks on how simple checklists can reduce complication rates in surgery by 35%, uh, death rates by 47%, and could potentially save the healthcare industry hundreds of millions of dollars. So taking the correct steps in disease diagnostic and treatment is vital for enhancing patient outcomes. And uh, for example, some studies suggest that 30% of patients who suffer a stroke receive incomplete or inappropriate care from their doctor, as do 45% of patients with asthma and 60% of patients with pneumonia. So you can see checklists can be uh, an important tool. I hope to see them Uh, showing up much more uh, in medical device manufacturing and packaging. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And we're going to sneak into learning how the nuclear uh, techs work uh, with my guest today. So we're going to check and see if we got him on the phone. And Rod, are you with me? Yeah. Hey, I'm here. Thanks for coming, Rod. You know, one of the great things about having my uh, own podcast is uh, I get to invite my friends to be on it. (laughs) <laughs> so I have my buddy Rod Jennings, who I've known now for thirty years, and oh, uh, I've got stories. Oh, I know you do. Yeah, we get <laughs> <laughs> we could talk another show, perhaps. <laughs> well, let, let me tell you a little bit about Rod. Rod uh, Jennings is a, a field engineer for the nuclear energy industry. Uh, for the last fifteen years, he's traveled throughout the United States uh, to various nuclear power plants facilities, performing outage maintenance. So when they go offline, they all jump in from all around the country and make sure all the bolts are tight and that sort of stuff. So, Rod, first of all, maybe kind of walk me through what's your workday look like? What are the sort of things that you're doing? I know you're crawling around underneath things and uh, making sure that... Uh, yeah, yeah, they definitely get into some interesting places. Um, well, it, it, like your industry, it's critical that we perform our diagnostic and subsequent uh, calibration work, not only repeatedly, but uh, to an absolute standard. Um, It's heavily procedure driven and there is oversight at every step of the way. There's a general feeling in the industry that uh, it's not right now. It's right. Uh, We can hold up an entire outage, which is the term they use for the preventative maintenance cycle when they come offline and and we go in to do all of this work. And we can hold that whole process up until we as an individual is satisfied with with a particular procedure, with a particular uh, component that it's going to function like we should think it should function. And uh, of course, we're heavy in standards as well. Uh, Does that that answer your question? Yeah. So do you do... Does one worker watch the other engineer to make sure that, I mean, do you have checks on checks? Um, Yeah. uh, Yeah. That is the, yeah. So human performance uh, is, is a huge issue and we always work in teams and we generally have a consistent oversight, uh, maybe not constant, but consistent. And there's always a system of checks, balances, and, one of my favorite acronyms that is used heavily in the industry is STAR. And STAR is Stop, Think, Act, Report. Mm, and okay. that's back to that process about uh, when something doesn't look right, it's, we stop. And we get an answer and we, we run it all the way up the chain until we're satisfied that, that we have the right answer and that we're, we're proceeding in a correct manner. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's real important for, I think some of the systems don't, I hate to use this new age uh, sounding term empower, but it does sure. in fact <clears throat> empower someone. I know uh, 
going back into, I believe, the 50s and 60s in uh, Japan, where on a Toyota assembly line, uh, you were able to uh, pull a cord and stop. I believe it was, I'm pretty sure it was Toyota. You could pull a cord and effectively stop the plant. So that yeah, individual. Yeah, right. That's a, the famous TPS. Yeah, exactly. System that, yeah. And it's it's essentially the same thing. I, I, I If I see something that I don't think is right, um, and I may be, I may be wrong. I may be looking at something incorrectly or I may not know the, the whole uh, story. I don't understand the whole train or something like that. And, but there is no, uh, there's essentially there's no stupid questions or no stupid um, move in that regard. If I don't think it's right, I don't understand it. I throw a timeout and uh, we, we again, go back to that star stop, think, act, report. Which and, is, that's important to know. Yeah, I mean, a culture has to be where, uh, if it, I mean, you know, in some factories, if an employee was to start, to stop things going out the roll-up door, boy, that's bad news. No one wants right. that. It's product, that's where money comes from. So you have to have a culture that says, hey, you know, it's cool to do this. It, uh, no one's feelings are going to get hurt. We understand. Nope. We, we need to have that person in part. In our laboratory, we have a, a system that, uh, I developed uh, uh, this past year as we move towards a lab technician risk. We put together a program called the Lab Technician Risk Watch. And basically, not risk watch, risk watch. And so it, uh, there's a, it's a seven-step program where, you know, you look, the person has to look around. Hey, does this look right? Two, you know, think, does it seem right? Uh, number three would be to talk, talk to a, a colleague and see, you know, if this seems right to them. Um, and then tell, tell a supervisor. Um, and then we move into the fixed mode. Uh, and then from there we go into tests and then watch the process to make sure that it's a sound solution. But these are all street level, ground level functions that technicians can do because when all of the suits leave the building, these are the people that are keeping it all together. So if there isn't a melding, uh, of that sort of shared DNA of quality, then you're at risk of engendering bad product, bad outcomes. And in our industry, it's, you know, dangerous to patient and your industries, it's leveling a city. I don't know, probably something like that, right? <laughs> Not quite that bad. Uh, generally our bad day is, is they, they have to come offline and, uh, it, bring everything down to parade rest. But, uh, yeah, you're preaching to the choir with that system. Um, and it certainly is the culture that the, uh, my industry fosters and cultivates, um, it's, it's, it really works well because everybody feels, again, there's a word empowered, but everybody feels like what they're doing is, is important and it is, and there's a critical function to that. And we, we try to perform to that standard. Right. Um, well, so yeah, up, and to, upstream in your, at the, at one point at that facility, somebody designed that plant and right. within that, there is vendors that uh, supplied um, machinery and components. And so somewhere there's a torque specification, we'll say, on a bolt. So how is that communicated? How is it recorded? And then more importantly, how does it feed back to the top again to make sure that these events are compliant? No. Yeah, that's uh, a great question. So I said earlier, you know, we're procedure driven and a procedure is an actual document that is generated. Uh, it, it makes the rounds. It comes from the original plant drawings and goes through engineering and then usually goes through engineering and a subject matter matter experts review. 
Then the, then that procedure is put out in the field and field tested several times to make sure that it, it flows like it should. And if and a procedure is just a long-form checklist, and the procedure will contain checklists in it as well. And so we work through the procedure step by step. Um, usually it's a sequential procedure. Sometimes there is a notation that allows us to work a step out of sequence, oh, but okay. generally it's a sequential procedure. Mm-hmm. And we just we work through those. Then uh, once the work is done, it's verified either by an actual activation of a component, if we're able to do that, or engineering will evaluate it post uh, maintenance and they'll take a look and make sure that that meets the function. Then that is that paperwork is reviewed again to make sure that all the steps were uh, performed and adequately documented. Right. It's um, you have paperwork laden, but um, but when we're done, we absolutely know we have it right. That's important. So we, I just went through an audit for our ISO 17025, and uh, everyone who's been through an audit knows how paperwork-driven those processes are. Uh, sometimes, you know, it reaches a point of uh, um, absurdity in terms of how much documentation is, and it also creates Certainly. what we know <laughs> is data haze. You have so much data, it's difficult to collate that data and to put it into actionables, and that's always been a challenge, particularly in medical device packaging validation. The, every time something comes up where there's an issue, we create a corrective action. That corrective action is more paperwork. And then when the next one comes up, well, over the life of a 10 or a 20-year-old company that has accreditation, you can be weighted down by so much regulatory normative girth that it's hard to, to look at. Uh, do you have a problem managing all of these uh, the data and how you know computer driven is this? I mean, are we still in the clipboard stage where you're at? In, in some regards, um, there's they've they've switched over to a electronic medium, but it's it's still the basic uh, checklist sequential format that that we work through. Um, so you know the nuts and bolts of it is at the at the ground level we we just we focus on the procedure we focus on the checklist at hand and we work through that we have a system um to do that and it's industry standard it's called circle and slash so as you work through a procedure you circle the letter or the number of whatever procedure step you're on and uh you perform that then your counterpart verifies that you performed whatever action that was verifies whatever data you took in and record that you counter check their verification make sure that they're repeating back to you what they what they said you know, that, that you originally recorded was correct wow. then we slash that circle and move on to the next step so that's a really useful tool it's it turns a multi-page phone book sized procedure into a long-form checklist wow. um yeah, yeah, I'm a big I'm a big fan of that process. It seems cumbersome, but at the end of the day, I can walk away from something, come back to it mid cycle and know exactly where I was, exactly what had been recorded and right where to start in again. And, you know, right at the beginning of the show, I talk about how um, there's engineers that will come into a medical device company and they specialize in packaging validation. They'll create this incredible validation, beautiful document, and then they get a new gig. They're gone. And now some poor person is in there like, wow. 
And, and surprisingly, a lot of times these, even though these validations were incredible, the record keeping was less than robust. So it didn't really mm-hmm. match the, the girth of the, uh, of the document originally where it had. So they see bits and pieces of it, but when you don't want to be the person that shows up at that company, they're looking down the road at an audit that's coming up. Now they're trying mm-hmm. to figure out where's the design of experiment, where, you know, how was this come to the, <clears throat> so on a lesser degree for that, uh, that event that takes place, you at least know if you don't come back from lunch, what happened on rod shift before you and those little things exactly. seem minor, but they're important. Yes. Yeah. So the, the idea is that um, it, if you had to leave for any reason uh, in the middle of something, or there was a turnover at a shift point um, that the next people can walk in and with great competency resume the, uh, the repair or maintenance process. Interesting. Yeah. You know, I've been into, Oh, in the last 25 years, 30 years now in medical uh, devices and then packaging, I've been into hundreds and hundreds of clean rooms with the stupid hats Mm. and all that stuff. I've been in a, yeah, Yeah. I've been in a few of them with you. You know, it's, um, it's funny uh, and surprising to me that I still see a lot of clipboard sort of data being collected, which, um, as we just changed the new ISO 17025-17, the reason that it was upgraded from 05 is that there was a need for it to recognize electronic uh, um, ah, storage. I mean, sure. you know, I I'll, I just did a document this morning on my MacBook and I went to my other MacBook and wow, there it is on the other one through outer space and all the magics of, of the internet. So, you know, those, that kind of record keeping that is, um, that, that goes in our company, we use Dropbox and, um, and other cloud based uh, storage systems. So I know a lot of companies are slow to, uh, adopt electronic media where they don't trust it. They fear potential hacking. They, they fear security. And so, you know, we get that, but you know, now with some pretty robust firewalls, uh, those sort of concerns are going away, but now we're finally exactly starting to see, and even in the hospitals, we're starting to see data logging, uh, electronic data logging from a machine is starting to become cool again. Is that what's happening with you guys as well? Yeah, absolutely. And the transition's been a little slow. Um, you know, obviously, security is a huge issue. So a lot of the standalone uh, systems really had to be hardened up for the application. Um, but, you know, I could, old school, I'm, I love uh, what I call a field copy. It's uh, pen and paper. And I, I have that in my hand. I can work through it. I can flip back and forth much easier. But that's sort of that's that's sort of the nuts and bolts end of it. Um, but I always have my electronic coffee with me, and I'm, it's, I use that. And that's a real time update uh, in some plants uh, management, uh, engineering. Any interested party can see exactly where I'm at. And sometimes I'm on a uh, project that is a critical path and that that means this is um it's holding everybody else up and so that's kind of nice because you don't have somebody stopping what you're doing i and and furthermore that's it's just a um it's reassuring for me to know that um i you know i have an electronic record if i were to lose that paper record for whatever reason and but it's also nice to have the paper record because a lot of times i'm in an awkward spot up on a scaffold or mm-hmm. or uh in the brt it's the um it, it's just um a challenge sometimes yeah, you know i went to one of the big box stores that i go to often uh and 
uh, they always ask me because my phone number's in there. Do I want to email my receipt or do I want a copy? And because I'm old, I always want the copy. No, you better give give it to me. I'll need you know. So you, it's hard to break that mindset that it just if it isn't tangible, it doesn't exist. You know. So I like that folded receipt in my wallet because I don't oh, trust the secret world government yeah, the, is going. Yeah, the, the, the local pharmacy, the big chain pharmacy I go to, has cured me of that because they give me a two mile long. Uh, it's like your mortgage or something, right? Up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know you're like you completely take down a rainforest every time you get a receipt for, you know, a candy bar or something. It's crazy. Uh, yeah. So, you know, acronyms are, are cool. We use um, so many in our industry. I wrote a blog uh, not too long ago, the ABCs of medical device packaging, where we call out some of those and they can be great mm-hmm. tools. If you can remember them as part of my midlife crisis, <clears throat> you may remember this, Rob, when I went through my, I want to be a lifeguard phase. Yeah. Yeah. So I became a lifeguard. I didn't quit my day you job. Did. Yeah, you did. <laughs> so I, it was just something I wanted to do. You know, some people want Everest. I wanted to be, I wanted to wear red shorts for some reason. So I did that. And you know, when life savings and I later became a WSI, um, and mm-hmm. a life lifeguard trainer. And we used a thing called the find model F I N D, which was F was for figure out the problem. You know, it was the person driving, right. um, I was identify possible solutions, you know, like, should I jump in and pull the person out of the water? And then you go to the end stages, you know, name the pros and cons of each one of the solutions. If the guy's not actually drowning, I'm going to get my hair wet and people are going to laugh at me. But after you make that decision, there's D, the decide mode. And that's where a lot of people get hung up in our industry where they, there could be a problem, but maybe there isn't. So I decide to do nothing at all. And of course, as we all know, to do nothing is effectively a, a decision. So that's sure. something that I think a lot of people get held up where they, they just, it, it's easier to stay under the radar and not, you know, be the whistleblower. Sure. Oh. And so do you see that in your industry as well, where people tend no. to lay low um, or is it cool no, to you know, speak in up? Fact, uh, in, in fact, uh, because these, um, the um, the process isn't real dynamic. It's it's pretty much the same thing over and over. We might see some new technology, some new components put in place, and stuff like that. But our procedures in our industry will drive you to a course of action, and it's so um, it, it that's that helps a lot as well because there's no question about what to do next. Right. Uh, you know, it's a, if then, then that, and we do that constantly. We're making decisions based on that. And you, it's, you and um, I talked about, uh, the pause points where you, you, mm, you yeah. stop for a moment and, um, you know, pause points are actually used as, is sort of a guiding metric for a lot of decision-making. Um, let's take getting married, anything, <laughs> anything important, right? You, it's a, there's a time to pause, um, look at all the, 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 you know, potential solutions, ramifications, all those sort of things. But we, we have an issue, I believe in, um, medical device packaging where we tend to just move, 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 move. And, um, if something slightly is we continue to move. So stopping action and, and developing into your work culture, um, for people in, in our case, our clean room workers to be able to say, Hey, you know, pause, what, what's happening here? And sure. that to me is a, a, an important mindset for your people that are developing a product, wrenching on your plant, whatever. That is an important mindset to have. And I think it's missing in our industry a bit. Mm. 
Yeah, that's uh, well back to that STAR acronym, you know, the Stop Think Act review or report. Um, so initially, um, we have the pause point. We have pause points sort of built in uh, all along our our processes, and and that's the the two minute rule. You 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 stop. You think you you review your area. You really try to understand everything that's going on around you. Everything that's going to go upstream, downstream. Um, you know, what am I affecting? You know, could I possibly injure someone by activating this system? And you try to understand all of that before um, before any panel is touched, before any test equipment is hooked up. You you, you must understand everything. And if you don't, then you you run it back up. Um, supervision and we get clarification and then we proceed um it's a tough it's a tough mindset to get because it's you want to get done you you want to get in there and just get get the work done but it's so important to step back think about it take your time and and get it done correctly yeah now you and i both were raised by um mechanic fathers um (laughs) your dad was a fireman but they both were were mechanics and you and i both grew up with motorcycles and uh you know the um the thing that i took from my dad and i think you know uh great men are made out of um toot my own horn here but great men i think are made from mechanic fathers he there was a lot of lessons learned from um sort of like zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance right it's Mm, uh, favorite slow slow down think it through is there spark is there air is there fuel and it's that uh, little triad that we had to go through to get the motorcycle started again and I think sure. if you aren't uh, raised early on, or if you at least don't try to develop that sort of uh, um, mindset of diagnostics and how to think, some people never really stop to think, but there's a, there's a method to thinking, at least a method to thinking better. And um, a lot of people just have a lot of thinking fallacies that cause them a lot of, uh, a lot of problems in life. Um, so I agree. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I think the right, the right program can, uh, instill a lot of that and sort of automate that process. And that's where checklists um, come in. I think that was oh, the, the whole yes. idea of checklists. And that's why it's, it's just becoming a, a home run in healthcare right now. It's, um, it's forcing people to stop doing, I mean, it literally changed aviation checklist did. And, did? um, it's, it's so surprising to me that more people don't include, I use it in my personal life. I mean, you don't, you don't go to the grocery store without a shopping list. I'm surprised sure. that more people don't, use a little bit more systematic metrics on their daily life. It would make it so much better. (laughs) I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. (laughs) Well, thanks Rod for joining me. We're running out of time here, but I appreciate, uh, appreciate I I owe you one and I guess we'll see you over this weekend for the barbecue. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks so much. I appreciate you coming in and um, I'm glad we had a, chance to talk a little bit about checklists today and uh, any closing thoughts rod about checklists or systems that uh, you can share from your time uh, yeah you know if 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 your organization doesn't have it you develop it 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 pays huge dividends and peace of mind and eliminating problems in the process that can create huge problems later on or uh, you know costs a, a lot of money just for something simple. Um, you said the magic word, money. Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, power plants that, that generate in excess of a million dollars a day in revenue have wow. been brought down in by 
the wrong washers that were used in a particular application. Exactly. I mean, and we then know- a component failed. So it, it, so our checklists, our procedures have, have gotten tighter and tighter over time. And um, you know, like I said, if your organization is struggling with, with some issues, take a look at it and see if you can apply a checklist and, and a procedure and uh, get some knowledgeable people in there and take a look at that. And I think you'll eliminate a lot of problems. Thanks so much. Words to live by. Yeah, I would definitely check out the uh, um, checklist manifesto. An amazing read. Yeah. And um, a lot of good metrics in there. Thanks again, Rod, for joining us. All right. Cheers. Thank you. you Thank you for joining us. This is Charlie Webb. This episode is sponsored by Vanderstahl Scientific. For over 25 years, Vanderstahl Scientific has provided advanced medical device packaging and pouch testing machinery for the smallest startups to the world's largest medical device manufacturers. Learn how Vanderstahl Scientific can help your company deliver your medical devices safe and sterile to the point of care. You can browse their website now at vanderstahl.com.